Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Alt Hair Life in the Real World. My name is Jean Byrne, and today we're interviewing Doreen Azerod, the lifelong trickster hairstylist based out of Texas. So I learned a lot today. I hope you guys will as well. So let's get this podcast started. Hello. Hello, Doreen. So Doreen, I'm so glad that you were able to to meet with me today because I've really been very interested in kind of you anyway. I've followed you for a little bit on Instagram and really appreciate your courage on a lot of things. And so I kind of wanted to talk to you about, you know, some of the challenges that you've had with trichotillomania. Is that correct? Yes. 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 <laughs> it is a mouthful, right? It, is, um, it definitely is. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's like, wow, they couldn't just call it trick, make it easier for everybody. So I saw you like, uh, cer- certainly as I started doing my hair loss stuff as well and like losing my hair and then following everybody and doing social media for everybody, I came across you. And then you and I kind of have linked up with some of the CR lab stuff. So you do social media for alternative hair loss, as well as being a hairstylist. So we'll talk a little bit about, you know, give it your, your, your background, but you know, certainly that's how I discovered you and for being such a young woman, having such wherewithal, I think to educate and, and help others is amazing. So I wanted to talk with you. Well, thank you. Thank you. It is an honor to talk with you and honor to be here for sure. I'm super excited for this chat. So um, how about we do a little bit of background on you and, you know, kind of what you do now and, and how you found your way into being a hairstylist. I read a little bit on your website and I'll share some of those links in, in the podcast information, but for our, for our listeners, just to know a little bit more about you. Sure. So um, I, my name is Doreen. I am pretty much like a lifelong trickster. I have had trichotillomania since I was four years old. I first started pulling on my eyelashes and my eyebrows then. And then around the age of like seven, eight, uh, I started pulling from the hair on my head. And I mean, like it's been history since then. So I, you know, I'm still an active puller today. The last time I had a full head of hair was in the third grade. Uh, so years and years and years ago, um, and eventually just sort of along the way and finding acceptance with my trichotillomania and sort of getting to a place in my um, early 20s where I was deciding, you know, what I wanted the rest of my life to look like. And I ended up in hairstyling, which is as, you know, a lot of people with trichotillomania or hair loss in general, you know, we kind of try and steer clear in a way of all hair salons and things like that. So I never imagined myself ending up here, but I currently am a hairstylist for people with all forms of hair loss, men, women, children, um, doesn't matter the type of hair loss, um, doesn't matter the background. And then I also do a little advocacy work for um, the TLC Foundation, which is like the National uh, Body Focused Repetitive Behavior. I know we're going to talk about that later, but that's sort of the umbrella, the umbrella term for things like trichotillomania, which is hair pulling or skin picking, nail biting, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. So three years old, you said, or four? I was around four years old when I first started. I, you know, I really don't know a life without it. Yeah. And as I've sort of gone through different treatments and, um, worked at, you know, I mean, for years when I was younger, the general therapy practice was how can we get everyone to stop? And that isn't the focus now, thank goodness, uh, because it's kind of, you know, it's a cut and dry kind of, it's not the best approach with people with trichotillomania, um, not for everyone at least. So I, you know, as I've sort of been going through treatment methods, I, I hit a point where I was like, you know, I don't know what it's like to not have this. I don't have any memories like that. 
Yeah. Not the case for everybody. It's most commonly starts up in your teens, but I was just one of those people who just started super young. So that must've been really hard growing up having to deal with that. It was. And um, I mean, I don't think that this just relates to people with trichotillomania, but when you're sort of in your early stages of hair loss, it feels like every or at least for me, it felt like every decision that I made said was centered around my hair loss. Mm-hmm. Every new friend I made, every invitation to a party or every, you know, going to summer camp or which activities to pick or gym class or, you know, all of it, where I sat in class, the outfits I wore, everything centered around my hair loss. Like imagine going through your formative years, starting from pretty much elementary school, having to, you know, I mean, I was in the sixth or seventh grade when my hair loss got so bad that I had to start wearing headbands every day. And at first it was, you know, I was able to pull off like cute headbands, but then by um, 10th grade, my headbands were pretty much covering my front hairline to the crown of my head. And I had to wear that every day. And even then I had to have everything in like a side ponytail on this, a low bun. So I pretty much had one look. It didn't matter what outfit was going with it. I had one look that I could wear and that was it. Um, And that was actually the transformative moment where my mom was like, it's time to get you hair. Um, We can't keep doing it like this. Yeah. And I'm, I feel really lucky that I had supportive parents through all of it because, you know, I know that that's not the case for everybody. And I work with trick clients now where, you know, there, there's a lot of great, um, incredible supportive parents out there, but that's not always the case. And it's not always coming from a place of being mean. A lot of times it's just not knowing. Yeah. But you know, I remember my mom telling me that when she first took me to the pediatrician, I, um, the doctor didn't even know what it was and told me that I just had allergies and that's why I was pulling my eyelashes out. So it's come a long way since then, but yeah. even still. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, just, you know, right. So you have the double whammy of hair loss, but also going through and growing up and puberty and everything else, which is already really difficult. <laughs> In general, yeah. like it's already really hard. And then yes. having that weight of that on top of it, I, you know, yeah, that's hard because all I can think of is dealing with the hair loss and trying to disguise it and everything else as an adult, but as a kid, because I was made fun of in school a lot. And I couldn't imagine if I had also had something like that as well. Like I was already just made fun of and kids can be so cruel. Like I don't even like seeing tween girls right now, a bunch of them. They give me like "Ah," anxiety when I see too many of them together. (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's really tough. And then the fact that you then basically jump directly into it and say, I'm going to go into hair. It was, yes, it wasn't a direct, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it was in many ways. So I, uh, I went to college, uh, not thinking that this was going to be what I did at all. At that point, I had already been wearing hair for a few years and I had been wearing, um, like a mesh integrated topper, uh, which I had been, I guess, since the age of around 16, I had worn and it was great for me at the time. And, you know, I mean, with every first hairpiece, it's like, you know, your life has changed for the better. And you can't imagine, even if it's not your best hairpiece that you'll wear, that first one will change your life. Exactly. And so that was very much my experience for me. I had worn it for about five or six years, gone through college. I got a job. I thought I was going to be working in museums for the rest of my life because I loved art and I was an anthropology major and loved education. So I got there and I just quickly realized that I couldn't, did not, this was not where I was meant to be for the rest of my life. And I got to a place where I was just sort of thinking through, 
coming to terms and acceptance and sort of like that first moment on your own where you're not with school and all of that. And I just decided, I was like, you know what, if I don't get a hold of the way that I feel about my trichotillomania, because up until that point, it felt like my deepest, darkest secrets. I mean, like I said, it defined everything that I did. Mm -hmm. And I said, I cannot look back on my life and have that be the way that it is. I can't, I can't do that. That's not going to be fair to myself. And you know, it's, it's funny. I'm the sort of person that sort of like looks for signs along the way, maybe not looks for, but when they come to me, I'll sort of take them in. So, you know, I had listened to a few podcasts or a few books where people were talking about different things. And it just slowly felt like the world was telling me, you need to accept your, learn to accept your trichotillomania and come to a positive place with it. So I decided after a few months working in the museum that I wasn't going to move forward there and go to cosmetology school instead. And knew that I wanted to get into cosmetology to work with people with hair loss. So it did feel like a full, a full dive in into the deep end. Um, my parents were a little shocked as one <laughs> could imagine. <laughs> yeah. A little shocked. Um, but they were supportive nonetheless. And I think that they know that I'm the type of person that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. Yeah. So it was, How, yeah. I'm sorry. How is that going into like going into cosmetology school with hair loss, because I would imagine that even a bunch of the hairstylists and things like that hadn't been really exposed to people with hair loss and certainly not someone as young as you. So how was that like going in that first day or working with other, other future hairstylists and there you are with kind of almost a different philosophy about what you are going to do within that world? Yeah. So I, even when I started cosmetology school, I wasn't telling anybody about my trichotillomania yet. And I wasn't telling anybody about what I was doing in cosmetology school. So it was a huge shock to everybody. And on top of that, you know, a lot of my classmates, because for cosmetology school, you don't have to do undergrad. So a lot of them were younger than me, or they had been doing hair at home. And that wasn't the case. So I immediately sort of come in like, you know, a special case. I told one of my cosmetology school teachers, and I remember like my heart was just pounding out of my chest telling her, hey, this is why I'm here. I'm wearing hair, um, but I'm not really talking about it yet, but I will soon. And, you know, she immediately told me that she's been biting her nails for years, which is sort of grouped in. And then, you know, I told another teacher there and he was like, oh my God, we have another student who does the same thing. She also is a hair puller. And she, that girl was actually the first girl I ever met in person who has trichotillomania okay. um, at 22 years old. So it was, it was a shock. And I, I just sort of knew going into it that I was just going to not keep my head down, but I knew that my purpose, and I was just going to keep on getting all the information that I could to help me get to where I wanted to be. But I mean, you're right in the Milady textbook, which is sort of like the standard of cosmetology school textbooks, they don't have trichotillomania listed. They have a lot of different forms of alopecia, but it's, you know, the same way that we talk about, you know, the different layers of the skin. It's just sort of like, it's information that you have. Let's hope you remember it somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then, so you've been doing, how long have you been at, at cosmetology? Well, how, how long have you been a hairstylist and working in, in alternative hair and, and helping people? So I have been doing that for about three years now. Um, after I graduated from cosmetology school, I worked at a traditional hair salon in New Orleans, uh, which is where I was living when I went to cosmetology school. And I worked under a, like a master stylist who uh, I was his apprentice for a year. And you know, he taught me a lot of fantastic basics, but even then I 
um, you know, I'd be doing highlights for women or their color. And I was like, you know what? I have no concept of what this experience is like on the other side of the chair. I've, you know, I've never, to this day, I've never had my hair colored because I've never really had enough hair to color. I, you know, cut my own hair, but even when I was younger, I mean, it's my experience as a, someone sitting in a chair is not your traditional experience. So as I was working on these traditional hair clients, I didn't understand that whole experience and it felt a little foreign to me. So I moved back to Houston and found the salon where I'm currently working at. And it's specifically geared at hair replacement and just working with all hair loss clients in general, whether you want a private room to come get a haircut, get a hair color, or you're looking into wigs, toppers, bonnet systems, the whole works. Okay. So your master stylist that you worked with in uh, Louisiana, did he know that you? He did. Okay. By the time I had graduated cosmetology school, I was open about it. Social media was sort of my first venture into it. I really saying the words out loud wasn't easy at first. I, you know, I've been hiding it for almost 20 years at that point. So sort of typing it out into this world that I didn't really wasn't there was how I first started. And then slowly I started telling my clients at cosmetology school and the reception was overwhelmingly positive. And so the more honestly, and I tell a lot of people with trick this, you don't have to tell the world the way that I tell the world, but I feel like the more that you talk about it and don't just hold it all in, the easier it is. Even if it's just telling a friend or telling a sister or a cousin, but yeah, I, I slowly, by the time I had uh, working in my first salon job, I was an open book to everybody. So you didn't meet someone else with trick until you were 22. Until I was 22. I had, you know, when I first started talking about it online, a lot of my classmates from elementary school, middle school, high school told me that they had it or their siblings had it. And I never knew, never knew. So I guess I had met people prior, but I, that was the first person who I ever met to who said, oh my God, I have trick. You have trick. We both have trick. Yeah. It is interesting, right? There is so much, you know, shame to a degree and keeping things hidden which is really hard if you're already dealing with something so personal and then you, you just are hiding it and you're trying to camouflage it as best as possible. Certainly, you know, when I started losing my hair in my forties, that's what I was doing. And it really only was probably since I lost, I left corporate at the end of November and kind of started focusing on social media for alternative hair that I realized, what am I doing? I like, I can't not also be upfront about what's happening with me as well. So that's why I was like, well, let's do this podcast and let's just be a lot more transparent about it. But it, it was hard and I'm, I'm a lot older than 22. (laughs) Um, It was, it was definitely difficult to, to just kind of almost expose the wound a little bit to be like, yeah. yeah, like even my best friend, when I talked to her about she had listened to a couple of the podcasts and she's known me 15 plus years. And so she's known me as I've gone through this. And she's like, I didn't realize she's like, I want to see pictures that you reference in the podcast because she goes, I didn't know that's what you were going through. Like she, you know, I talked about like a topper at a wedding. She's like, I want to see this photo, you know, cause I was like the hairline, whatever. And she's like, I don't remember any of this. So it is just one of those things that even with her, I mean, she, I still just wouldn't expose it. Like I don't, she has never seen my hair. Like I, you know, I wear, you know, a, uh, a piece now. And so she hasn't seen my hair underneath it. No, 
so I'm still very, you know, there's still like I bond and I don't take my hair off. Like I still have some issues about seeing things. So it's just, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, I'm like, I'm glad that you found out and you kind of have found your peace in your twenties because it makes it a lot easier in your life to just have addressed it and accepted it. And I, you know, even like I posted a picture a few weeks ago of me with no hair on, on my Instagram. And, you know, I had that photo sitting in my photo bank for like three months before I posted it. And I was going back and forth. I had the caption written, but it's, I mean, it's hard, even, even still for me, it's hard sometimes to expose yourself like that. And, you know, a lot of the same pops will sort of, the thoughts will sort of pop up in my head of, you know, what if someone sees, what if someone from my past sees, what, you know, what will they think, you know, all that sort of stuff just turns and turns and turns and turns. Ultimately, I think it helps more people you know, you don't, not sharing photos necessarily, but it helps more people talking about it Yeah, because that's what we all needed when we were earlier on in our journey was to know that other people were going through the same thing. Yeah. Like, it's not like, it's not our own secret shame. Like actually there's a lot of people uh, being impacted with hair loss for many different reasons. And, and I'm seeing it with younger women, surprisingly. Right. And yeah. uh, I saw that picture when you posted it on your Instagram and I was just like, wow. And then I saw the video from the American Hair Loss Council that you were just out at when you got your new system put on. And I saw the pictures of you in front of all those people, you know, having the system done. And I, I thought at that moment, I was like, wow, that's, that's courage. Like that is <laughs> courage because even though you're surrounded by people at the American Hair Loss Council who <laughs> they're all aware of yeah, loss. We're all in the industry. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're all in the industry, but it still is a vulnerable, you're still vulnerable. Even yeah. with that, you're still vulnerable. So, you know, I don't, I don't have trick, but we'll talk about what, it, what I think I obviously do have, but even with not having trick, wow, I was impressed. I mean, I was, I was just, you know, like, you're my hero. You're a lot younger than me, but you're a hero. So well, thank you. Um, thank you. So we talked a little bit about trick and you mentioned um, uh, when, when you talked to one of your instructors, she said that she was a nail picker. So they, they, they have, they, they've combined kind of the trick, trichotillomania, please excuse my pronunciation. It is a mouthful. They've, let's just say they've combined trick with BFRB. Yes. So th- I, I don't know the timeline, but I want to say that it probably happened about a decade ago um, where they did this. So they sort of grouped all of these hair pulling, skin picking, nail biting, a few other like, you know, lip biting, um, hair twisting, all these things under body focused, repetitive behavior mm-hmm. um, as a grouping. So they sort of distinguish them by saying they're not habits. They're not ticks. They're also not self-harm. They're sort of these complex, complex disorders that result in hair, skin, nails, body damage by their actions. Mm-hmm. So I've um, been to a few of the conferences for BFRBs and it's, you know, it's so fascinating to talk with other people about their experiences because, you know, it may not be that they don't have any hair on the top of their head because they've pulled it all out, but perhaps they've bitten their nails down to nubbins and that's their experience. But a lot of the sort of how we, how the um, disorders are played out are very similar for a lot of us. So, and that was what was fascinating when I've done research on this, the BFRB, I realized that I have that. <laughs> really? you know, yeah. so, so many people do. Yeah, so many yeah. people do. Yep. So I pull my cuticles and I, I 
I just trash my hands, like not the nails. I'm not too bad about, but my cuticles are just ragged. And also I didn't realize when you just mentioned about, like, I bite the inside of my, my mouth, like, you know, just my dad tears his hands apart. So I was just wondering, like, even with trick and BFRB, if there's genetic factors where, you know, that there's a, you know, there's genetics also in play with whether or not you might have these disorders. I think there definitely are genetics. I know that the year before COVID, they were, they had just, um, there was a big research study, I think, going out of the University of Chicago and maybe a few other universities. They had just collected all this data amongst all the BFRBs and they were sort of getting it through. So I don't know where they are right now in that Mm -hmm. research. Everyone's expecting there to be like, yes, there's a genetic component because, you know, I mean, my dad also, he was picks at scabs, you know, little things like that. Yeah. Uh, But we just don't know how genetic it is, but yes, it is believed that in fact, it is a genetic component. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, but there was one point where my brother came down to visit and I had band-aids on my fingers and he's like, oh yeah, dad's done the band-aids on his fingers too, because you just are trying to stop. And I think even for trick, right. You wear hair to kind of stop yourself from pulling. You put band-aids on your hands to stop yourself from picking your hands. And I've done it ever since I was young. And I've, I've noticed it's uh, I don't know if it's a, I, I really should research it more. I don't know why I do it. I think I do it when I get anxious maybe, or bored and you just kind of pull the hand. So, you know, whereas, and the hands are just as visible as your head, like people notice your hands. If they're like red, like right now I'm looking at them, if they're red and they've got skin pulling and, you know, the dermatologist has looked at my hands and been like, Oh, you know, that's not good. (laughs) That's not good. So it's just interesting. I'm sure people listening today will be like, Oh, BFRB. They're probably going to look at that and be like, "Uh uh-oh, I either do that myself or know someone who does that. I mean, it's so many people exhibit, and I think especially with COVID, there's been an uptick Mm -hmm. in a lot of these sort of behaviors. All of my trick clients, I don't know a single trick client that I have who, and myself included, who their hair pulling didn't increase during COVID times. So I think that there's been an uptick in all this behavior, but you know, I even have a client who twists at her hair. And it'll just cause it to like break off by twisting it. And as she's describing to me her twisting her hair, I'm like, that sounds exactly like how I would describe my trick to someone else. Honestly, so many people have these sort of disorders. And I think the more you understand just how common they are, yes, they come in varying degrees of severity. People do them in different ways. People have multiple, people only have one, but I think it just helps with awareness and it helps with acceptance. So is it, I assume that it's kind of a soothing exercise for when you're anxious or things like that. Cause you, if people, you know, if it's during COVID and, and I don't know if everyone's aware that we were in a pandemic in 2020, but we were, <laughs> and apparently it's still going on, <laughs> but I would imagine that those behaviors would happen as type of a soothing behavior. Like it's a control behavior. Like you can control that. And it there's, and I read a little bit on your blog when you're talking that like, it's almost, I think it was in your blog where it's like almost feels good to do it. So that is, I mean that you get, so you're getting a reward kind of almost by doing this behavior, you know? So yes. Yeah, definitely feels like a release. I would say the urge, the best way I can describe it to someone is it feels like you have an itch that you need to scratch is sort of what the urge feels like for me at least. And then the pulling sensation feels like this release, like a self-soothing release, not always done when I'm stressed, perhaps like you said, when I'm bored, Mm -hmm. um, 
I've been doing it for so long. There are times I don't even realize I'm doing it. I have some clients who do it only in their sleep. So oh, that's hard to control. Yeah. <sighs> so it, it comes in all different forms. Yeah. Yeah. No, at the board. Yeah. Cause I'll notice I'll notice I'll do it like I'm just all of a sudden watching a movie and enjoying the movie and I'm messing around with my fingers and doing something with like you know whatever and I had a friend of mine from college and she also did that with her fingers but she has a she had a picture of when she was a little kid and they had taken you know one of those you know shots that the professional photos (laughs) so here she is this professional photo getting pictures and you can see her messing with her finger in the shot like she's doing something (laughs) And she's like, look at that. Like she couldn't, like even that young, she was messing with her fingers. Um, (laughs) So, so you see a lot of trick people. Do you, do you like, I mean, so you help support the organization and stuff, but are there a lot of like trick um, awareness groups that people go to, or I guess, I mean, I guess they're not really going places right now, but are you seeing more of an expansion of people having support groups? Because if you didn't meet someone until you were 22, when did she meet someone? Like, was it you as well? I don't, yeah, I don't know for her. I know that there are quite a few support groups, um, and with COVID and even a little bit before COVID, they started doing online support groups for people with trick, just sort of regional or, you know, just national ones. And I, you know, a few years ago, I was going to a, uh, a kid support group here in Houston where I live and, you know, just like kids, middle elementary, middle, a couple early high schoolers. And to hear them talk with their peers about their trick. I mean, like I was blown away with the bravery, like the, the level of awareness, the level of compassion with which they spoke about their trick and spoke to like their peers about their, I mean, they were just so open in middle school and high school about having it. I was shocked. So, you know, I think that a lot of that comes from, you know, I mean, child specific, but also these support groups, I think really help kids and adults to meet other people feel like they're not alone in this journey. Because I think that so much of the hair loss journey, be it from trick or androgenic alopecia or, you know, whatever it is, alopecia areata, it feels like an internal battle and it feels like this internal dialogue that keeps on going on in your head. And I think that making sure that you're not the only one who's struggling with it is super, super, super important. So support groups are great in that way because you know that you're not alone. Yeah, I know people people ding social media a lot for a lot of the negative that social media does, which is true. There's a lot of negative around social media. But at the same time, I think because of social media, we're seeing a lot more transparency from people who are dealing with these issues. And, and that's good. I mean, even the young folks that, you know, they have a support group, which probably because of the social media aspect of life, and these kids are more transparent, probably in general, about things that they're going through. Uh, It's very beneficial because that's one of the things I've noticed even on just the whole hair loss world. It is a lot of younger women who are more inclined to do a funny reel and take their hair off. Or I saw one that you did for a wig, someone who does wigs and like you guys were like throwing wigs like some, I think yeah. you threw a wig, like it's the humor around that and just making it just like more transparent. I think that's really good. You know, there's a guy that follows me on Instagram and he listened to like my first podcast, which I was like, okay. But at the end of it, he's like, wow, I didn't know anything about all of this, you know? And so it's kind of like, well, then it makes sense to be transparent and sharing things and, and letting people know, because one, you're educating people who don't know anything about it. And two, you're finding people who might be all alone and, and, you know, and 
not know where to turn. So in that regard, it's really good. So so you talked a little bit, and I know you wear you wear hair now. Let's talk a little bit about like treatments that you've gone through. And and I know that with trick, a lot of I think that there's a lot of folks who do like a bonded system to help stop them from pulling hair. Do you agree that that is one of is that one of the solutions or therapeutics that you try to do in that in that environment? Yeah. So there's I like to present my clients with like all the different hair options and then just sort of see what they land on. I, when I first started wearing hair, I was wearing, like I said, a mesh integrated piece. So it was attached to my head for four weeks at a time and slowly grew out. That was great for me in the moment. Cause I got to, uh, you know, I had, did have a, a lot more bio hair then than I do have now. So I got to show a lot of my bio hair out. The downside was that by pulling on individual strands to secure the piece that put tension on my follicles that then sort of had increased my urge to pull out my hair. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to trick clients now, but I do have a few clients who come in with trick who that's how they also started out. The same, in my opinion, also goes for extensions too with clients with trick. But then again, I've heard of success stories of people with trick who do excellent in extensions. Then you sort of land in like the daily wear option of like wigs and toppers. And I would say my trick clients are pretty split, maybe lean a little bit more towards wigs. Um, the great thing about a topper is it's going to give you a lot of that density back that you're looking for, but it may not cover up all your bald spots. But if you're, if you just want to sort of have it for special occasions or know that you can take it off every night, a topper is a great, great, great option for someone with trick. I usually recommend wigs for a lot of my trick clients only because I mean, a lot of the trick clients I've been seeing recently have pretty like all over hair loss. And I think that's a lot of what makes trick a little bit harder when it comes to hair replacement is it's not necessarily just going to be from like the top of the head. It may be the top of the head and the side and the back and over here. So making sure you can get as much of that area covered, if that's what they're looking for, is going to be super helpful. And with a, a wig in many ways, it's a similar, except not as extreme as a bonded system, because it does become like your hair jail, at least while it's on your head. So you mm -hmm. can't get to the hair underneath it. And I think that's what sort of you were referring to with a bonded system is when you're wearing a bonded system, you really can't get to the hair underneath it. You know, for some people with trick, I have a few clients who wear those and absolutely love it. But especially depending on where you are in your trick journey, I want to make sure that you're not going to like immediately pull outside or start pulling somewhere else once you get into a sort of pre-designed system um, that maybe is only for the top of your head. And then all of a sudden you're pulling the side of your head. Yeah. I would think though, if you're just start, like, let's say you're, you have trick, but you're not like, you're just starting. Wouldn't you almost, I mean, this is just me from a thinking perspective. Like, wouldn't you almost want to then go into a bonded system to break the cycle of pulling your hair? Cause I just think with a topper or wig, you can take that off. You take that off. And then you mentioned how someone has trick in the middle of the night and they pull their hair. I mean, wouldn't, I would think that that would be a way to, to, to break the cycle or is it, or I'm just, or am I just being naive kind of in that you really, you really don't break the cycle. You all, like you referenced, even at the beginning, you still want to pull just trying to mitigate pulling. So for some people, for sure, it definitely, especially if you're early on or if it's, it's not, so you only do it occasionally, perhaps a bonded system would be best for you, but I've heard of stories of people who get in bonded systems and then once their bonded system comes off, they go back to pulling. So it's, yeah. you know, it's, there, I wouldn't say that there's a perfect solution for people with trick and it's just very like what, where you're at right now and where you think, what you think you can handle and sort of what, I mean, a lot of people want to show their bio hair and so, or what bio hair they have. And so for that, mm -hmm. you know, 
a bonding system or topper would be a great option. Yeah. But others they are like, you know, I don't, I just want it to be easy and throw it on and just cover it up all day long. A wig is a good option for you too. Yeah. So you've had trick for, for so long. I mean, all your life pretty much. And so is it just with, if you have trick or, or BFRB, is it just an ongoing thing? Like it's really never going to stop. You just kind of have to accept where you're at and work within that world. The, it is considered a chronic condition. Okay. So I, um, I, I know of a few people who have stopped, but I've also known of a few people who have stopped for decades and then it comes back up, even if a little bit. Yeah. So it's chronic. And I think that that was also a point of realization for me in my early twenties was, you know, even if I stop pulling out my hair one day, this disorder will always be a part of my journey and who I am. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was just thinking about that because with the nail stuff, the cuticle pulling, like I, I did a whole thing where I was like, I wore the band-aids and then I got it all healed. And I was like, Oh, don't they look great? And then it didn't last very long. I just started pulling again. So it is, it's chronic, even with best intentions. You're like, Oh, I'm going to stop. Yes. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do this. And then it, it doesn't matter. So, so what are some things like lessons that you feel like you've learned working with like trick clients that you have, like what have been some of the, have there been any stories that you just have been surprised by uh, with your clients? I definitely feel like I've learned a lot more about trick and other BFRBs by working with other people um, and just hearing about their experiences with the disorder. Just, you know, I mean, like I said, I had no idea that people pull in their sleep, even hearing about how people will twist their hair or I, you know, I have some clients where they struggle with pulling at their wig hair or their alternative hair on their head. That was never my experience. But then all of a sudden I had a few clients who came in and that was their experience. So for me, just sort of understanding what was, where was their urges coming from? What was the sensation for them that sort of attracted them to pulling out their, their wig hair? Everyone is different. And I think that just being as patient with yourself as possible through this journey. I mean, even from like one hair piece to the next, it can be, you know, it, it, even for me, I mean, every time I put on, I know I've been wearing hair for over a decade now. And I'm very open about it. And, you know, I'll go out, I'll go running in my short wig and then, you know, put on a longer wig for later in the day. And I, you know, I don't even think twice about it, but even for me, moving into new hair can sometimes be a little bit, um, a challenge at the beginning. Mm. So just finding acceptance and patience with yourself throughout this process, I think is super important. So you're in a bonded system now, but so would you say before now you, you had your, you had your integrated system when you were younger and then were you pretty much just doing toppers and wigs through the rest of the time, or have you done bonded pieces throughout your journey? So I have probably been bonded more than I've been not bonded. I was the integrated system. I would consider bonding because it was mm -hmm. bonded to my head. Um, I did that for about six or seven years. And then from there, I went to actually bonding wigs. And so I just did adhesive from like ear to ear and my front hairline. Uh, I did that for about a year, a year and a half. And uh, then I went to taping. And then I was so nervous to go from having been bonded my entire life to not bonded, but slowly the taping like transitioned me into not bonding. And then, you know, I do things like for some of my wigs, they're a little bit bigger on my head. I have a really petite head and I'm just short in general. So I uh, needed to wear like a, a velvet headband and no slip headband underneath my wigs. That helped a lot. So I did that for a few years and now I'm back into to bonding, which mm -hmm. is exciting, but also it's, you know, showering now is a lot longer than it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and you can't change your hair up based on, I mean, that's the one thing, like you can't change your hair up to be like, well, I think I'll wear my short hair 
you know, yeah, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> or maybe I want to be a, I want to be a redhead all of a sudden, like you can't do those things. Like when you're bonded, you're like, this is what I am committing into for right now. I, I like being bonded. Um, Lisa Cure Hair Solutions had put me, there was a moment where I had to tape and I hated it. I hated taping. I wasn't very good at it. I also didn't like waking up in the morning and not having a full head of hair. Like yeah. I, I realized where my mental issues were in terms of my hair loss. And it was, it was waking up in the morning and it affected me in a lot of different ways. I think I had to tape there for maybe three or four weeks. And <laughs> I told her, I'm like, uh, there are two things I never, ever want to do again. One taping two bangs. So yeah. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to do either of those ever again, but yeah. So I, I think taping can work really well for some people. Do you think you're going to stick with bonding here for a while or? Yeah, I do. I think it's going to be figuring out what bonding. Yeah, I do. I do. I've slowly in the past year or so I've been working at not stopping pulling, but sort of curbing the increase of hair pulling I had during 2020 and sort of taking that back down to like 2019 levels. And I think that bonding is a, a step in the right direction for me with that. Mm-hmm. It's not the only way to do it. Like I've done other little things. I had like five tweezers in my house and I'm a big tweezer puller and I threw all those away. So that was big for me, you know, not sitting in front of a mirror for an excessive period of time is helpful for me. Um, But yeah, I definitely think I'm going to bond for a little bit as well. Not sitting in front of a mirror, yet you are a hairstylist who is in front of a mirror all day. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I don't, I don't think your solution is your solution. You're still in front of a mirror all the time. So now it's just like, don't look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what are some of the things that you're seeing? What's the, what's the, is it TLC? Did you say? Yeah. TL, the TL, yeah. TLC. Uh, is that the, what, what's the, what does TLC stand for? It used to be the Trichotillomania Learning Center, but now I think it's just the TLC Foundation for Body Focused Repetitive Behaviors. Okay. Sort of their new name. Okay. And then do you work with them a little bit as well? I do some education for them um, and advocacy work for them uh, around their conferences or like uh, we have BFRB week coming up at the beginning of October. So I'll be doing a presentation for them there, but just sort of things to just generally spread awareness. Um, And I've been one of my goals since I was in cosmetology school is to get trichotillomania listed in the Milady textbook and just just so that people know about it as well as they're starting off their careers and just spreading more awareness with other hairstylists. I love it when people come in for consultations to the salon and they bring their hairstylist with them because it's so important that like other stylists know about resources that are available to them. We had one on Saturday come in and her stylist was so sweet. And she was just like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that there were solutions for people struggling with hair loss like this beyond just sort of like what we think of as traditional extensions. And, you know, I think that all the sort of work that social media is doing, I think is going to really help to like speed that along, but there still are a lot of people who don't know, even in the cosmetology world. So how, how close are you to getting that into the Malady book? We we're working on it. It's in progress. Yeah. I'll be excited yeah. to share. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, even just from the alopecia perspective or hair loss with aging, traditional hairstylists, they see it happening to their clients, but they don't know really what's happening 
or where to go to help solve it for them. So there yeah. is definitely that avenue because I think from what I can gather and what I've seen, hairstylists want to help, you know, they especially do. with clients that they have, they usually have had clients for years and then they're watching them. They're watching their client going through this year over year, all of a sudden losing, losing more hair. In fact, that's what happened with Lisa and I, if they don't know where to go. Yeah, there is a, there's a dearth of education that needs to happen for the hairstylist. Cause even with, you said that there's reference and stuff to the alopecia stuff in the book, but is it, do you feel like it really should be its own, like in cosmetology school, there actually probably needs to be its own either learning track or focus, like a, a full class on hair loss and on alternative hair replacement and things like that within, within cosmetology schools. Is that kind of what you're trying to get with the the add into the, to the curriculum? 100%. I mean, especially because like you said, I mean, it's people younger and younger are experiencing hair loss and, you know, with COVID, they said not everybody, but we're seeing COVID hair loss happening. We're seeing a lot of thyroid issues in younger women that's causing hair loss. I mean, the reason you could be just stress, which is, you know, who hasn't experienced stress in the past causing hair loss. So there's numerous reasons why people can have hair loss and every hairstylist needs to be equipped with, even if they don't specifically treat it, they need to know where they can refer people to. Exactly. I agree. All right. So what, what else would you like to cover? <laughs> I, we kind of ran through everything. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, we've talked a little bit about social media stuff, but this has been our first real conversation about this type of stuff. And it's been really fascinating for me because there's a lot I've learned just from you and just from this conversation, but I didn't know if there were some things maybe that you wanted to touch on for our listeners that we haven't covered. I think the only other thing just sort of related to like lessons learned from my trick clients. I have been lucky enough to work with a few younger trick clients as well. And those always pull at my heartstrings because I just yeah. imagine myself sitting back in that chair. But something that I like to sort of share with people with trick, but then also like loved ones of people who are supporting those with trick or BFRBs in general is that you know, you may never stop your body focused repetitive behavior. You may never stop pulling out your hair. Um, picking at your nails, picking at your scabs and skin, but you can still live a really beautiful and happy life with your BFRB. And so that's something that I like to get across to to my clients and to the ones, their parents, anyone who's sort of supporting them along their journey. Yeah. I think that positive mindset is the most important thing. I agree. Cause even with, I think you do it. And what I do it, it, when we're doing social media is I try to position in the social media, the positive and yeah. the empowering, because we all know the challenges you have, but it's like, we, we need to see the positives in this and just acceptance and moving on. And, you know, if anything, 2020 certainly gave a lot of us time to reflect on that and realize maybe some things that are more important than other things. And if there's solutions that you have for trick or BFRB or hair loss, go for it. You do you yeah. or don't wear hair. I mean, gosh, the girls that don't wear the hair and are bald and they've got the amazing makeup and the big hoop earrings and they look glamorous go for it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, it, it had, it ha you know, I've always been fairly um, open about those kind of things anyway, in terms of accepting others where they're at. But, you know, it, 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 2020 was one of those epiphanies where you just accept where you are and we move forward. And I think um, you do that and I do that. And really, when I look at stylists and the alt hair industry, we're all trying just to make it so that clients and people feel so much better about themselves. Okay, was I the only one that just learned a lot from Doreen? I can't be. 
That was really interesting and Doreen, you are great. Thank you so much for joining us. And you can find her on Instagram at Doreen Azarod, as well as her website, www.doreenazarod.com. I will drop it into the podcast notes. Please, if you liked the podcast today, please appreciate five stars. Have a great week, everybody, and wear the hair.